I'm Emily Renneberg, and this is Even Strength. Have you ever heard of women's football? Maybe you've heard of it by its former name, Powderpuff Football. Or maybe you have no idea what I'm talking about. My guest today not only knows women's football, but she plays it and she lives it. But she also wants people to recognize it. She's battled adversity as an only child with the help of a very supportive single mom. And on today's episode, we'll talk about how she became the voice of women's football in Ontario. All while she works towards her PhD in neuroscience. So it's hard to say for sure when women began to officially play organized football. But the American version of the sport itself started in the late 1800s. By the year 1920, the NFL was founded, and in 1958, the CFL came to Canada. Now, football is the second most popular spectator sport in Canada, with nine teams stretching from the east to the west. This is all, of course, in reference to tackle football, one of the many forms of the sport where teams across the country can organize to play. Then there's flag football, touch football, and contact flag football, otherwise known as women's football. Are you keeping track? Women's football began to pick up popularity in the 1970s. But what makes it different? What are the rules? That's where Olivia comes in. My name is Olivia Goshwaby, and I am the team president of Western University's women's football team. I'm also the league commissioner of the Ontario Women's Intercollegiate Football Association. This is my second year in the role, ensuring that women have the opportunity to play high-level competitive football at Ontario colleges and universities. I'm also a student athlete, which means I'm a PhD candidate at Western University in Neuroscience, and I'm a proud advocate for women in sport. She's played touch, flag, and women's football for years, and even helped create the verified rulebook for the league. Women's football is what the term we're going to use because it can be complicated describing it as contact flags. This hybrid, I would say, of tackle football and flag football. So how that works is all of our skilled receivers like we would have in the 7v7 and skilled players on the defensive side. These are the individuals who are flagged. They are not tackled. They are, they're not supposed to be making contact except within the five-yard line. There can be a little bit of, of touch and go within five yards versus a defender. And then we add this element of an offensive and defensive line, and that's where we really get the bulk of our contact. What that means is you have your your defensive end, your tackles, your everything there, your center, and they either on the offensive side are either protecting your quarterback or obviously on the defensive side they're trying to attack. Really emulating the tackle version of football, but to a certain extent a bit safer. It is football, but skill level or the type of skill is slightly different. So you have less equipment, so you're seeing a lot faster of a game. You have to have that hand-eye coordination to get the flag. You have to be able to move your hips to get flag misses. You need to be able to be really well refined in the technical skills versus making the hit. It's more so getting your body in position. It's actually a lot of fun to watch and play. For me, it feels closest to tackle football. It's also a sport played exclusively in the winter months, where athletes will battle weather in the minuses and a ton of snow just to practice and compete in outside conditions. So why haven't many people heard of women's football before? 
Well, a lot of it comes down to limited opportunities to get involved and having very few leagues for women under the age of 20 to join. It's just that it's not universally recognized, across, at least in Canada. So really the opportunity to play tackle football, I would say, is the the one-off teams that, th- that happen at least, like, for example, there's MIFA that plays out of Mississauga. Um, that's a tackle. They have a tackle women's program. Um, and there's Team Ontario and Team Canada, which are tackle programs as well that they offer for um, the international bowl. There is some opportunity there, um, except it doesn't start very young. Uh, and I think that's where you really introduce women into the game is when uh, when they're growing up, they get to experience it, play it and see it more as a, a sport for everyone versus a sport um, for men specifically. Women has have been playing football for a while. They've been playing, again, touch, flag, tackle. Um, however, we've been in it, but we've never been recognized for it. So I think that's kind of the movement that's happening here. We're recognizing that women are playing football currently. A lot of women, in order for them to be able to play tackle as well, they just join their men's high school team. And that's their opportunity to get in some kind of uh, tackle experience, at least here in Canada, is to just play on the men's team because that's there's really no women's parallel often. Tackle football is definitely associated with men kind of getting in there and people buy into that. They buy into that grit. They buy into that um, taking hits. And then obviously we see on the women's side that there was the lingerie league and stuff like that, that kind of degrades that a bit. Obviously they all are athletes, but the way that we kind of sell it to ensure that we get fans and viewers is always frustrating in that sense because we are composed of really good athletes. And for the university teams, there's often a lack of recognition within the community and the administration. Plus, there's the struggle to get financial backing. The fact that Western, I I will give them complete credit to, has a ton of sports clubs um, and sports programs. So there's like over 30, 35, maybe in the 40s. So adding on another program may seem like nothing for us, but can be a lot uh, on the system that we currently support here at Western. Um, And that's something they're working on. They're trying to figure out a way to um, better accommodate all the clubs and all the interested clubs that want to become uh, something under sports and recreation and being able to ensure that there's enough funding for that and enough resources. So resources being gym access, field access, and able to spread that wealth appropriately and ensuring that obviously their varsity programs are prioritized. So that's probably the biggest hurdle at Western. However, it still is for me, um, and being able to see how our team operates, we don't need much. We really are just asking for recognition a place for us to properly hold our money and interactions with other universities, because that's obviously an important transaction. And two, ensuring that we do get some sort of field space, but we operate in the wintertime. So there's not really any other teams functioning when we play. So being able to find field time really shouldn't be, in my opinion, that much of an issue. So what that comes down to is when we consider all the other programs here that are running in Ontario, they also are kind of facing the same barriers. They also have a decent number of sports clubs and varsity teams. They have similar systems. So why are we still so behind um, and money is such a big factor? Olivia is the captain, president, and quarterback for the Western team. And before their 2019-2020 season began, the team was forced to start a GoFundMe campaign to reach out to their community and help them get the equipment that they needed to play. Going into their eighth season, they only had seven flags, 15 cones, and six hand-me-down footballs. And this was all original gear from their first season. We're not a cheap team to run, especially competing and getting our gear and whatnot. When local media got a hold of their story, the support for them began to rally. 
I didn't realize how something, in my opinion, seemed fairly small to go on to CBC London specifically on the morning show and talk about kind of what we're doing. But it really did um, dredge in a lot of support from the community. Almost immediately, we got five to 10 messages or emails saying that we want to help in some sort of capacity or some way. And then the Forest City Social and Sports Club provided us all of our, our new equipment for this year. So that was, I think, upgraded the level of training that we could have in our program. And equipment for contact flag can be anything from like cones, ladders, hitting bags for our lineswomen, some hurdles to get our agility up. And then, of course, we need the basics like footballs and flags, which was something we lacked in the past. I don't even know how we got by before this year. We worked with literally, I'm not even exaggerating, three footballs at one point and and like five decent sets of flags. And we have a roster of anywhere from 50 to 60 girls because so many people want to play and we get so many great athletes. So that support was huge. Um, it really skyrocketed our program. And I think it did factor into the results we got this year. Western took home their second consecutive championship win this March and went undefeated in their season. But this year, they're launching their third attempt at applying to the university for varsity status. Our program is one of the many. Although we've been around since 2012, I think it's time that we need to move forward in the, our action. And, and you kind of see it in the morale of our athletes. Like We all are just fighting for the opportunity to be able to play on some sort of stage where we're recognized as a legitimate program. And for each of our athletes to ask me every day, you know, have we progressed in any way with getting some support from Sports and Rec? And, and unfortunately, I can't give them any answer. With the CBC London interview, that did really help dredge up some conversation about women in sport generally. Because all of the other schools almost in Ontario are now ratified programs, either as a sport club or as or slowly transitioning into a sport club uh, or a varsity club. The fact that we are still so behind, but we still have such a successful program, it's frustrating to say. And it's something to I constantly have to explain to people. Yeah, unfortunately, we're not even a varsity or recognized sport at our institution. But yeah, we play. We are the best team in the league. That's just the reality of things. They have to refer to themselves as a team of Western students and not a Western team. And though they still wear purple, they had to modify their logo because they can't actually be associated with the school. Out of the 10 programs that are prepared to compete for the upcoming 2020, 2021 season, 80% are ratified programs. Obviously, if it's out of 10, two or three of us are not ratified. So they are in the talks with their athletic departments to change that. And they're going through their ratification process as well. And we have to, we've reapplied again for a third time this year to see if we can get some kind of programming. We might see some progression for next year. Again, I don't know if that'll be the case. Now for all the other programs, they are sitting at some sort of level of sport club or recreational sport club. And they work with their athletics department to ensure that they have some equal opportunity to play. And I'm hearing some amazing clubs coordinators really backing them up and ensuring that they're supported. So clearly there is a community, a network there. There's a group that wants to support us, but it's not consistent across all institutions. So we're obviously trying to show that we are athletes and we play competitive high-level football and that we, we are a functioning group and we've been operating this league on our own for this, this time. But now we're going to turn it back to Olivia herself. Not only does she spend hours of her week working towards improving, growing, and getting women's football recognized, She's also a PhD student with a passion for neuroscience that grew out of her undergrad. 
So what I've published on in the past has been research in actually cardiovascular health. So looking at more of the social outcomes related to to how our heart functions and what we kind of see on in terms of um, like having heart attacks or stroke, etc. She's already completed her undergraduate degree and also began a master's program, only to be pushed forward early onto her PhD. One of her end goals is to spend her life learning, and for her that means attending medical school or becoming a professor. Uh, Again, I'm doing a PhD in neuroscience, so that's my other half of my research world. What I really am focusing on in neuroscience is what on a daily basis, what lifestyle factors impact our brain health and how can we actually combat that or change that or prevent damage to our brain. And the main lifestyle factor I'm looking at is the Western diet. We eat a lot of high fatty, high sugary foods. So what is that doing to our brain, first off? And second, is there a way that we can actually prevent the effects of of these diets, especially because it's unavoidable. It's in front of us on a daily basis. Buying these sugary, fatty foods is super easy at the grocery store because it's usually cheaper than um, vegetable products. And so uh, what that resulted in is, first off, I can tell you that there are negative effects on the brain. And second, there are ways we can actually combat that. And obviously, the number one thing is exercise. So I take pride in being an athlete and exercising on a daily basis. So of course, I'm encouraging my peers to do so. But I'm also showing in my research that exercise will actually prevent the effects of eating like crap on a daily basis and maybe balance out some of the the stress that these high fat, high sugary foods does to our brain. I'm always interacting with people. So what you'll find in the research community, especially in a PhD that is thesis based, so self-driven, and it's kind of me asking these questions. I don't interact with a lot of people on a daily basis, but I love talking and conversating and making an impact in people's lives. So obviously, for me, I'm interested in the science and kind of asking the questions. But the next part would be potentially looking at it clinically, thinking of med school after my PhD. So I'm going to be in school forever, but I don't mind. I love being a student, like I said, and I love learning. It's been me and my mom my whole life, single mom household. So she's just always been my inspiration to keep pushing and keep really furthering my education. So I'm, I'm always happy with that. Olivia's mom is an inspiration for her in more ways than one and is a big part of where she is today with both school and sport. Pursuing a post-secondary education is expensive. So that was always a daunting thing, especially, like I said, I came from a single mother household. So it was just me and my mom. She did everything for me, made sure I had a roof over my head, made sure that I was involved in the sports that I wanted to be. And that comes with a heavy financial burden. Of course, I was super well supported by my high school who ensured that I could be able to compete and and do a lot of sports. So like my main sport actually throughout high school, including flag football, was also um, high level volleyball and track and field. So volleyball can be an expensive sport because we traveled a lot. So I also wanted to play that in university. However, things didn't work out in in terms of volleyball because I am am petite. So (laughs) I was working with some adversity there. But I had to find means to put myself in the best position to go to university. And that included really just trying to figure out a way to get over this financial burden um, because it would have been a lot on my mother trying to figure out a way to house me in another location, um, ensure that I had a good education, etc. Although I had everything I needed to go to university, it could have been the same case that I would have stayed home and supported my mom, found a job instead. But I was lucky enough to, the reason, main reason I came to Western was on scholarships. So being able to cover and come out of my undergrad with no debt really did change things um, and made the decision easy. Yeah, and I'm so fortunate every day that I got to go through that national scholarship process here at Western, meet some amazing alumni in the program um, and, and really be funded and set up for my future. 
my mom really saw the value in keeping me regimented and making sure that I was focused because she was a young mom. She didn't want me to kind of go through any of the mistakes that she may have gone through when she was growing up. So when she had me at, at 19, she wanted to ensure that I was focused. I cared about school. I, I was occupied by more healthy habits, if anything else. So I saw the value in that. And for me, it was more so I don't want her efforts and everything that she sees in me to go to waste by me getting distracted or not staying focused on some of the things that really make me who I am today. With all of her success in her academic career, sports, and personal life, Olivia says her proudest moments are when she can see the outcomes of her tireless and hard work. Um, at least with women in football, being able to hear people come up to me every day saying, wow, I didn't expect the league to be where it is, especially alumni who come up to me to say that. But it'd be like, I, I really enjoyed being able to play this year and I just want to come back and I want to lead. I want to do the same thing as you do. I think that's that's something that I'm very proud of is being able to say that I helped kind of better someone else's experience, especially in football, in that way. Um, never thought I could at the time. And now that I'm seeing it, I'm just kind of like... I'm addicted to that feeling. I just want to keep doing it um, and, and make sure that all, all women are excited to, to come, play, come to university to play football. She's even working with the local London community to get football into their high schools and increase exposure and participation in the sport. With all of her incredible and selfless work to better the communities that she interacts with, it definitely doesn't go unnoticed. She's a role model for her own team and her coaches too. With my team, like I love them to death and they look up to me. Um, they gas me up or encourage all that I do way more than I think I deserve. They, they are my biggest supporters. They're the ones who are root for me throughout anything because I'm giving them the opportunity to play at a high level and to be a part of a big family of 60 other women. So they, they just appreciate me. And this game has progressed so much in like the last two years. They do attribute a lot of that to kind of what I'm doing. So it's more of they see me as a role model. And that's something I strive to do on a daily basis is to ensure that I'm leading by example. And they really appreciate that and they idolize that. So when we had our banquet this past year, they created an award to continue with the team from years to years that actually is with my name. And obviously, I, I got it that first time around, but I didn't expect that at all, that they would create an award to recognize women in leadership. I'm not a big crier, but I was close. So that says a lot. Um, we're a family. So that says a lot that, that they actually understand the, the amount of effort and time that goes into, into what I hope will be um, a varsity sport in maybe a year or two. So I was just taken aback, um, especially because it came from the coaches, too. So they recognize it as well. Um, that we have a female leader that's leading this um, and keeping our team afloat and everything going forward. And though it's called women's football, she acknowledges that the progression of the sport wouldn't be possible without the support and the allyship of the men in the programs, too. I'm going to be very straight up. Our league here in Ontario is run and operated by amazing women um, such as myself, yet we didn't get here alone. A lot of the starting of these programs actually came from men. So we needed them as allies. Um, they coach us. Again, we're trying to encourage more female coaches and referees. But again, they're the ones that want to be able to kind of run a team and operate a team, be a coach. That's always a great aspect of the game. And here in Ontario, we have men that are allies that want to come out. A lot of them are OUA football guys that want to come out and coach these women because they still get to a version of themselves playing, but in, in us. So these allies are huge. They're the ones who will speak up for us when someone asks, oh, you coach women's football? Yeah, it's women's football. It's, it's football. We don't need to say women's before it every single time. Those allies are the ones we need to keep 
all of our programs functioning um, at a level that we expect. And of course, when we, we've had this league around for years and, and as women kind of filter through and they are off doing their own things and become alumni, they want to come back. They want to come back and watch. They want to come back and coach. So that transition of getting more female coaches out there is is also something that we're working on. But we need men to really be allies. Um, and I And I really appreciate all of them. And at this point, you may be thinking to yourself, hey, this seems like an amazing sport that I would love to try or maybe put your own daughter into. Olivia has some suggestions if that's the case. And you don't even have to have previous football experience to give it a try. Because people are starting to find the sport a bit later, we see that the skills come naturally. Um, girls who can catch usually come from some kind of hand-eye coordination background, like something like hockey, or played softball back in the day, or they played this and that sport. And that's where we get a lot of our athletes, because that's all we're really looking for, people who are coachable. But the beauty of football is because, again, it's not something that you train in young and that it's something that you like naturally are going to be gifted in. It's something that you're going to put your kid in to make sure that they can become a professional in it necessarily. Um, we don't have that yet. She recommends that you do your research and look locally for flag teams if you're starting out young and checking to see if your university has a team if you're in post-secondary. Olivia is a true leader in women's sport, and with Ontario's universities hosting over 300 female athletes on their teams, the growth of women's football is continuing with all of her hard work and her perseverance. And here at Even Strength, we wish her, her team, and the rest of women's football great success in their future as they strive to gain rightful recognition and continue to encourage women to go against the standard. Thank you for joining us this week on an episode of Even Strength. I encourage you to join us next week to continue our celebration of women in sport. If you'd like to keep up with us on social media, you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at EvenStrengthPod, where you'll get updates on interviews, upcoming episodes, and other interactions. Thanks again for joining. We'll see you next week.